and a fitting intro to the SaturdayBlitz.com podcast as joining us is Alan Kenny from Blatant Homerism as well as Crystal Ball Run and we're going to talk about the biggest matchup of week three and quite frankly I believe the biggest matchup of the year to date and that includes the LSU-Oregon game. Uh, of course I'm talking about Oklahoma traveling to Florida State a game I believe the winner is going to emerge as one of the two teams in the BCS championship game. This might even be a preamble to the BCS championship game if something works out where one of these teams ends up with just the one loss and they end up meeting each other for the BCS title down the road. So this is something of a national semifinal as far as I'm concerned. And with that in mind, given in its due diligence, uh, we're going to have two podcasts, both from the Oklahoma and Florida State perspective. Starting off with Oklahoma, and Alan nice enough to take some time out of his day uh, to chat with us and break down what to expect in that big matchup. So we're excited to chat with him and excited to have you listening to the SaturdayBlitz.com podcast. So sit tight, grab your popcorn, and stick around for Alan Kenny. All right, and we're back with Alan Kenny joining us to talk about the Oklahoma-Florida State game. Excited to have him uh, from Blatant Homerism as well as Crystal Ball Run, which you can check out blatanthomerism.com and crystalballrun.com as well as on Twitter, twitter.com slash blatanthomerism. And Alan, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Hey, Kyle. Happy to be here, buddy. And uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, Last year, the Sooners and Seminoles meeting in Norman, and uh, of course... Oklahoma putting a rather sizable knot on Florida State's head. That was sort of Jimbo Fisher's first big game. Uh, what do you think it's going to take for Oklahoma to have a repeat performance uh, going on the road? Well, I would really, really doubt that there's going to be a repeat of uh, <laughs> last year's blowout win. You know, it, I mean, obviously, Sooner fans would like to see that. I would too, but uh, I just don't see that it going uh, it going that way. You know, I really think. Uh, Big key, the big the the big matchup here is Oklahoma's offense versus Florida State defense, though. Now, last year the uh, Florida State secondary, Landry Jones was able to have quite a bit of success against that. What do you feel like Florida State did to maybe shore that up a little bit, and what can Jones do to kind of work around that? Well, I mean, the Florida State secondary. Uh, be honest just got better uh you know uh i uh, i don't think it's any one thing just from what i've seen i think um part of the thing is last year you had uh mark stoops taken over there as the defensive coordinator and he obviously plays uh, runs a defense very similar to what uh bob stoops does and i can tell you that that's complicated a lot of zone blitzing um some complex coverage schemes and from what I saw last year, Florida State secondary just really wasn't able to uh, to wasn't they were there was a lot more thinking going on out there than just simply reacting and playing. Uh, a lot of busts in terms of getting lined up right, and a lot of busts in terms of who had coverage. Um, and on top of that, when Oklahoma really pushes the accelerator on their no huddle, teams have a hard time keeping up, and it just kind of snowballed on Florida State from what I could tell last year. Now, you mentioned Mark Stoops, and that's something that's interesting for me. Uh, I remember after that game last year, Bob Stoops saying that he didn't really feel great about kind of pounding his his brother's team. And uh, do you feel like Bob maybe has a bit of an advantage there, kind of knowing what to expect and seeing a defense that Mark coaches? I think that was the case last year, simply because Bob kind of knew the, the core principles that Mark was working from. And from there, you know, Bob kind of knew, okay, 
in this short amount of time how much of the defense can Mark really put in. I think that didn't really leave uh, Mark Stoops with a lot of opportunities to, you know, put in some of maybe his more exotic blitz packages or anything like that. Uh, I think that that was advantage. So I think that that was advantage Bob last time. Uh, at this point, you know, I mean, you know, Mark has obviously, you know, implemented some of his own wrinkles there too at this point. And, you know, he's had a chance to really get the, all that defense kind of ingrained in his players. And, you know, I mean, just another year in the system. I, I don't really see either one, honestly, having an advantage in that respect at this point. Now, with uh, Florida State right now, they've, they've pitched two uh, pretty impressive performances defensively. But then again, you know, Louisiana Monroe, Charleston Southern, not the best indicators for where a team's at. Do you feel like getting those first couple of games under a team's belt is kind of big for stepping into a game like this as opposed to maybe like week one where you had Oregon uh, facing LSU? Oh, yeah. You know, anytime you get a chance to, uh, you know, essentially have a dress rehearsal for a big game like this, I think that that really helps. Uh, You know, last week Oklahoma was off. Florida State, though, you know, I mean, they, they might as well have had an off week. I mean, Charleston Southern, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, Popcorn State or whatever. Right. I, uh, you know, I, I think that the, that's been good for Florida State, you know, to get out there and work through some of the kinks, obviously. Um, you know, Oklahoma, though, you know, taking a week off last week to rest up always helps and to get, uh, you know, maybe work on the game plan a little bit more for, you know, have a little bit of extra time to prepare. Uh, you know, all in all, though, I think one thing to keep in mind is my guess is that neither of these coaches, Jimbo Fisher and Bob Stoops, have shown everything that they're going to do. I'm sure that there'll be plenty of wrinkles uh, in the playbook from on both sides going into this one because, to be fair, neither one has really had to show everything they've got to win the, the uh, opening weeks of the season. And now, last season, one of the things that really struck me, aside from Landry Jones uh, tearing up that secondary, was how... Uh, well, the Oklahoma defense performed against Florida State on the run. Uh, Florida State, you know, boasts a lot of prolific runners, but uh, OU really shut them down last year. I believe held them below 100 yards as a team. Uh, is that something that you expect to see again? Or And how does uh, EJ Manuel sort of change up that dynamic as a quarterback that can pass and run? Well, EJ Manuel, you know, I know that Christian Ponder, Ponder was a first-round draft pick last year, a uh, really efficient guy, but EJ Manuel's more the kind of quarterback that OU typically has problems with, uh, mobile quarterbacks who can extend the play with their feet and who can, you know, at least put some doubt in the defense's mind as to whether or not he's about to scram- ready, run and take off or if he's going to throw it. That tends to give OU more problems than your, you know, typical uh, in-the-pocket passer type guy. So in that respect, I wouldn't be surprised also. I mean, OU's, you know, run defense struggled at times last year with the Veer option. I wouldn't be surprised to see some of that coming out of Florida State this time around. You know, Manuel's kind of a big guy. He's, uh, you know, a a pretty strong runner. I think... uh, you know, one thing you'll have to worry about with OU when you, when you do get your quarterback out there in space is what kind of shots he can take. Um, you know, Manuel being such a big guy, I think that that's less of a concern for Florida State. Um, you know, what OU is going to do, I think, you know, I would look for him to stack the box pretty uh, pretty early on early downs and try to keep Florida State from off schedule. Um, you know, whether or not Florida State tries to take advantage of that and maybe hit some play action or uh, throw on first down will be interesting to see. 
Now, Manuel's a guy that, uh, speaking with your partner at Crystal Ball Run, Aaron Torres, we're, we're both sort of on an EJ Manuel Heisman bandwagon to start the season. And obviously, this being the first really big test, and Landry Jones being another Heisman caliber guy, what sort of performance from each of these quarterbacks individually do you think it's going to take to really jump into that that forefront there with a guy like Andrew Luck, maybe, and uh, to a certain extent, Robert Griffin? Uh, are they going to have to put up astronomical numbers, or do you feel like maybe just getting a win in a marquee game like this is enough to really get those guys into that uh, national discussion a little bit more? No, that's a good question. You know, it was funny, on the radio earlier today, I was listening to uh, actually one of the local Oklahoma guys talking about what he expected out of uh, Landry Jones this weekend. He said something to the effect of, like, I don't I don't expect a huge game from Jones, you know, maybe like 300 yards passing. <laughs> and I was like, you know, but I mean, the, the thing is, is that with, with Oklahoma's offense, that's kind of the point where it's at. I mean, you know, when you start to think about it, if you're running over 100 plays a game, which I think they've done something like three straight games or something like that, mm. uh, or, you know, they get way up there because they push the tempo. Uh, there's a lot of rhythm, you know, passing going on out there. So it's a lot of short completions, moving the chains, getting up to the line quickly and uh, running another play. They just they tend to run a lot of plays. Um, so, you know, Jones is going to aggregate numbers like that throughout the season. And, you know, a game like this in Florida State, I mean, you know, you could see him throw the ball 60 times. Um, yeah, will, you know, will 300 yards passing or what have you be, is, is that some kind of magic number or whatever? Or does EJ Manuel need to, to uh, you know, run for three touchdowns? I don't think so. Um, I think that, you know, one of these guys is going to probably take a pretty big step up just based on who wins this game. I, I, I think that that's going to be the big metric here. Now, the problem is going to be you could see, you know, the, with, with the way these two uh, teams play, you know, it, I mean, you know, there's talent on defense on both sides of the ball here. So, you know, you could have a pretty ugly, low-scoring defensive game. And in that case, uh, you know, I doubt it will knock either one out of the Heisman race, but it will probably not be a huge boost to their campaign should the game go that route. And now another guy who I feel like is potentially on that Heisman radar, of course, uh, Ryan Broyles. Do you expect him to maybe face uh, a lot of double coverage or that sort of thing? Or is uh, Florida State, uh, would you imagine, going to uh, maybe go a lot more zone uh, as opposed to just straight doubling Broyles? That's a good question. Um, you know, I've seen teams in the past that have doubled Broyles and had some success, you know, especially if they got some talent. I think that Texas last year did a pretty good job, you know, shading at, at times that way and then also playing uh, their outstanding corner, uh, Aaron Williams, on Broyles. I, I honestly don't know how they're going to try to uh, to defend him. I would, you know, I think that with Broyles, you're kind of uh, you're asking for trouble if you go straight zone because he's so good at finding kind of the soft spots in there, the open open spots, and he and Jones have a pretty remarkable chemistry when it, in in that respect, and just kind of like this telepathy type type uh, relationship going on out there. I think that uh, OU would certainly like to see Florida State try to uh, try to double him up actually because I mean Oklahoma's receivers are. As as good a, a specific you know uh, position unit I think as any 
any group out there in the country, really. I mean, when you start looking at, at the talent across the board there in the production, um, you know, you'd have a hard time finding. You know, that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of the way I describe it before the season is you know going back to the NBA Finals, the OU passing game, the Landry Jones to that complement of receivers is kind of the the Dirk uh, Dirk Nowitzki fadeaway of college football this year. You know, it's that that one thing that everybody's going to have trouble kind of uh, catching up with. Now, is the passing-based uh, attack of the offense, is that, you feel, a byproduct of the fact that Jones and Broyles and basically the entire receiving core are so talented, so in sync, or is it maybe more of a byproduct of we're seeing running backs kind of fall off uh, left and right at Oklahoma, starting, of course, DeMarco Murray leaving and a couple of transfers recently? Yeah, I actually, it seems like they've been a little bit talking, at least talking a big game, about being a little bit more committed to the run. Um you know, I, I think that with the passing going on, I think it's part of just what Oklahoma likes to do. They like to be multiple. They like to, um, you know, be able to do a lot of stuff out of similar sets where you don't exactly know what's coming. Uh, and, you know, I think the other thing is, too, is that their offensive line, to be honest, just hasn't blocked particularly well for the run. Uh, from what I've seen, the, at least the past two seasons, you know, it's a group that seems to handle uh, pass protection a lot better. And, you know, at times it almost felt like Kevin Wilson, you know, might have given up on the run just a little bit early in the last two years and gone more to the uh, short passes, the screens, the quick hitters uh, on early downs trying to keep OU on schedule because at times, I mean, you know, the the, uh, the uh, running game, you know, was averaging, you know, at under three yards, I think, on first down, which when you're not, when you're not keeping yourself in good, good shape in that respect, you can get in trouble real fast. Now, uh, going back to something you had mentioned uh, a moment ago about uh, a potential low-scoring game uh, with two great defenses, and then, of course, uh, Florida State with E.J. Manuel and, and a run-based offense uh, and that dual-threat quarterback, Do, are you expecting a game a little bit like uh, last year's Big 12 championship with Nebraska, and uh, granted that they're a little bit less uh, option-based than, than Nebraska likes to run, but uh, are you expecting the same kind of team, the same kind of game, same kind of tempo as, as that Big 12 title game? Well, that's an interesting question. I hadn't really thought about it like that. Florida State, from what I can tell, tends to uh, actually keep it pretty slow. You know, I, uh, Jimbo Fisher, he's a Nick Saban disciple. That's part of Saban's game plan is always, you know, working the clock, bleeding the clock a lot, you know, not, not getting in a rush. Uh, I think OU, you know, they run, the, they run the no huddle. To a degree, they run it with varying speeds. Um, a lot of times, uh, you know, you'll see them really put the pedal down and uh, get, just get straight up to the line and run a play. Uh, other times, they'll, they'll hurry, they might hurry up to the line, then uh, get the call from the sidelines. So they try to kind of vary the tempo. Um, so, you know, I mean, OU will be out there, my guess is, is you know, running pretty hard. I can see Florida State, you know, obviously wanting – you know that's not the kind necessarily the kind of game that they want to get into. A, a shootout probably doesn't uh, work in Florida State's favor, so I could see them maybe trying to work the clock even even maybe a little bit more than they usually do. Now, with this being the second year of this uh, home and home installment, uh, I don't want to use the term rivalry, but uh, there's been interesting trajectory between these two programs. Uh, Oklahoma started to go back on the upswing right around the same time that Florida State started to hit its down period. Uh, do you feel like that there's maybe some sort of um, almost like envy in a way and the Florida State maybe looks at this as, as their platform to get back to that upper echelon that they kind of left as Oklahoma reascended? 
That's a good question. I mean, I could definitely see that. You know, uh, the la- the last, the first time that these two teams met, in you know, in my uh, recollection, was the 2000 national championship mm-hmm. game. I guess technically the 2001 national championship game, and you know, oh, you got the best of that one, and then oh, you got another big win last year. Uh, you know, year two with Jimbo Fisher. Year two seems to be you know some of these coaches, Urban Meyer, Jim Trestle, Bob Stoops. You've got you know these coaches kind of taking the program to the next level. At that point, I think Florida State is is looking for that kind of year this year. Um, so obviously, this is going to be a, a really really big game, kind of a statement game. Uh, you know, last year um, I wrote a lot of that off. You know, watching that game pretty much within, you know, midway through the first quarter, I could just tell that Florida State's guys were just too young and kind of out of their element. They were trying to do too many different things. Now, though, you know, Jimbo Fisher's been there for, you know, the end of his second year. His, he's got his way of doing things pretty much established and said this is his team. I think that, uh, you know, for them, they're looking at this as a, as a big-time barometer game. And, you know, are they really a top-five national program at this point? And I think it's a great question, is it a top five national program? Uh, like you said, Jimbo Fisher in just his second year. And there was a really great column on your site today uh, talking about Bobby Bowden's announcement um, of battling prostate cancer and sort of having that knowledge his last few years there, uh, right around the time that Jimbo Fisher was named coach in waiting. Do you feel like if Fisher had taken the reins maybe in 2007 or so that Florida State would be back at that national powerhouse level, or is this just something that was going to take a, a certain length of time, no matter if it was Fisher or Bowden coaching. And, and can you get a little bit more into that uh, Bowden situation? Sure. You know, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't consider myself a Florida State expert, but just from looking at the outside, it was pretty clear to me that that, that program was just decaying uh, from the inside out with Bobby Bowden still in charge there. Uh, you know, the guy obviously had a, a remarkable uh, run there overall at Florida State, but I don't think that there's any doubt that that program was was declining near the end there. And I've got to think that a lot of that, you know, kind of falls on the fact that they didn't have maybe strong kind of central leadership there at the top. Uh, you know, with Jimbo Fisher, he again, like I said, he's a he's a Sabanite. He's you know he's going to be very hands-on he's got a rigid rigid way of doing things he's you know i'm sure he's a very very much uh, very demanding very much perfectionist like nick saban is uh who's going to you know really push his guys to get all of them uh out, out everything he can out of him and on top of that he's got a vision i think for what he wants in his football team which surprisingly you might you might you might be surprised how many coaches if you got down to it probably don't have that i think jimbo like you know knows what he wants out of his team in terms of size physicality um and so i you know i think i think had they have made the switch to jimbo maybe i mean maybe he would have needed a year or two as as still as the head coach and waiting to kind of get his bearings and and learn the lay of the land there in in florida and tallahassee but you know i i I've been very impressed with what he's done with that program in two years. He's obviously he's just recruited the hell out of it. Mm. I think uh, I think he's in. I, I think that you know the sooner they could have got him in there, probably the better. Now I want to jump back to something uh, you said a moment ago about uh, Landry Jones and Ryan Broyles having sort of a telepathy and connection. Now I probably already know the answer, so you can probably elaborate on what I imagine your answer will be, but. Uh, Jones and Broyles or Whedon and Blackman? Ooh. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a really good one. Um, 
I think, you know, I'm going to go with the non-homer pick here and go with Whedon and Blackman. And I think that part of it is just Blackman has a bit of a, you know, he's working with a few more tools than Broyles. He's, you know, got a little bit better size. He seems to do, uh, you know, you can do more of them with the ball in the air. He does, you know, maybe probably better better at adjusting. Uh, with Broyles, he, he's, he's more, uh, you know, like I said, he's just got this, a knack for getting open um but you know in terms of you know for example on the goal line i think i'd rather have a guy like blackman i think i'd rather have a guy like blackman uh you know on some of those jump balls down the sideline and what have you uh so i think I, i'll take Wheaton blackman now making that pick are you gonna have to uh, sell the domain name of your site blatanthomerism.com <laughs> i very well might you know <laughs> now that i'm thinking about this i, I mean I'm, I'm gonna obviously go ahead and push people this podcast kyle but i'm gonna be preparing for the uh for the ramifications because you, you know oklahoma sooners fans are as homers as you get so you gotta watch out <laughs> well uh hopefully i don't have you on uh, too much of a hook with the sooner fan base but uh alan want to thank you again for your time this evening and uh I'm sure this is going to be an exciting weekend for you. Uh, do you have any any big plans for how and where you're going to be watching? That's a good question. I haven't really given it much thought. You know, I, it's come to the point where I kind of just like staying home to watch games anymore. I got my TV. You know, I can maybe have a couple beers or something like that and just uh, relax and and not uh, you know always be trying to look at the jumbo trial and trying to figure out what just happened or whatnot. So probably just chilling. On top of that, it will save me any uh, potential embarrassment. You know? <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, it not go the way I'm, I'm hoping it does. So, Well, thank you again for your time. I uh, want to give you a chance to plug the sites again, uh, both of which I'm huge fans of, and, and your Twitter as well. Oh, Kyle, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, uh, you know, my, my, my home site, uh, my my own individual project is blatanthomerism.com. We cover uh, you know pretty much all uh, Oklahoma Sooners college football at the moment. I've also been working on a new national blog. We've been up for about a month now, a little bit over that. The site is called crystalballrun.com. It's a takeoff on a cannonball run. If you get to the site, you'll figure it out. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, we've got a great group over there. Aaron Torres, uh, Michael Felder of InTheBleachers.net, Kevin McGuire, Tom Perry, the Ioneer uh, blog. It's a real fun group to work with, a real thoughtful group of guys. And, you know, we've got kind of a, a wide you know, range of knowledge and, and specialization. So we're having a lot of fun working together and collaborating over there. And, uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter too. You know, I'm at blatant homerism, you know, twitter.com backslash blatant homerism. And, you know, Kyle, like I said, man, I really do appreciate you having me on. And I appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, I'm actually uh, glad to know about the cannonball run because, uh, I'm apparently an idiot. I didn't put two and two together there, but, uh, is there anybody on the writing staff there who fills in the role of Charles Nelson Riley as Don Don Cannelloni? Oh, yeah, that's obviously Michael Felder, without a doubt. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if you followed Michael on Twitter, but if you do, oh, absolutely. understand, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think his, his love of Kesha probably solidifies that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again, Alan, and... Uh, Glad to have you on the podcast, and I uh, hope you enjoy the uh, the game this week, and thank you for tuning in to part one. This is the Oklahoma part of our two-part podcast this week, and this is SaturdayBlitz.com. I'm Kyle Kensing, signing off uh, on behalf of Alan Kenny. <laughs>